There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show. Wonderful to be back with you for yet another week with another fantastic guest. I've spent ages trying to get this lady on the show. Uh, and so it's going to be brilliant today. We're going to talk about the magnificence of humanity, which uh, in a week when uh, you know many of us, uh, our hearts are just full of compassion for those in crisis in the Ukraine and those impacted by it. Um, this just feels like uh, the magnificence of humanity is being severely tested. A brilliant, um, brilliant conversation to be had today. And I'd like to, um, before I introduce you to the fantastic Michelle Mills Porter, I want to say a big thank you to my guests last week. We had Jaina Mystery and Darren Harris. And uh, Jaina was um, in the UK, was the first um, blind fitness uh, coach. He's also a nutrition and mindset coach. And we had Darren Harris. And Darren has, uh, is the most accomplished blind footballer in the, the United Kingdom uh, and has uh, some 10 world and British uh, uh, medals uh, to his name. And uh, both of them involved in developing leaders. But we were talking about unblinding your mind. As, uh, Darren is also, as um, I guess you get by blind football, also um, has uh, sight loss. So it was a very interesting conversation last week with them, and we talked a little bit about uh, inequality and working with people uh, with sight loss as well. Um, but do check that out. Um, I, I thought they were both fantastic last week. So today, the magnificence of humanity. And, and my guest today experienced firsthand being in the middle of a human crisis. And I wonder if you could imagine you're on your dream holiday and suddenly it turns into a fight for your life in a devastating tsunami. Some of you will remember the, the tsunami back in 2004, which uh, impacted uh, a number of Asian countries, including Sri Lanka, where my guest uh, was at the time. And Michelle Mills Porter um, had an award-winning business. She became the youngest person to achieve investors in people in, in the UK. Everything seemed really rosy for her. And then that fateful day, it just literally turned her world upside down. Over the coming weeks, months, and years, she healed. She healed from her experiences, her understanding of what drives us, what's at the core of our essence, our ability to collaborate through adversity. And there was some significant collaboration uh, experience uh, here, which, uh, which Michelle, I'm sure, will explain. It brought a new and more elevated purpose. And as a consequence, uh, Michelle now is a hugely admired behavioral ex expert. Uh, Michelle's built a, also a whole suite of behavioral tools and works really groundbreaking and it's helping organizational leaders, helping young adults. It's led to major step change. And it really, you know, her, some of her magnificence uh, came out of, you know, the silver lining of what was a terrible, terrible situation. So it gives me tremendous pleasure today. I'm absolutely delighted. As I say, it's taken a while to get Michelle on the show. Um, Michelle Mills-Porter, welcome. Thank you so much, Chris. I hope everyone knows that you're fibbing because I've been desperate to get on your show for yonks. <laughs> Excellent. Well, both, both of our dreams have come true today. Though. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Michelle, tell us, tell us what part of the world you're, you're from. 
So I, it, it actually sounds like um, like a symptom of COVID. I live in a little village called Cofton Hackett, um, <laughs> which is set in the Licky Hills in Worcestershire, which if you kind of zoomed out, um, it's, it's smack bang in the middle of the UK, right in the middle. Ah, so uh, a, lo- a long way from the sea then by the sounds of it. Yes. Um, funnily enough, I've been trying to get my husband to move to the coast and he absolutely flatly refuses after what we've been through. <laughs> and we're a bit, a bit of the same, a, lo- a long way from the sea as well. Um, and, you know, we know each other from uh, the Professional Speaking Association over here. And uh, it's, um, so it's, it's great to have you on. And I'm just kind of you know, intrigued to find out a little bit, um, a bit more about your background and, you know, what was life like for you growing up? What did it teach you? How has it impacted you and your purpose today? Well, I think I was always very, very interested in human behaviour from a very young age. Um, My dad was actually from Burma. So he was born to a British father um, who lived in Burma and a Burmese mother. And at 17 years old, he came over to the UK um, and joined the army. Um, and he met my mum and, um, and, you know, had children. And as soon as he started having a family, he wanted to come out of the forces to give his children a solid upbringing. So we were born in, I'm not going to say poverty, but it was very, very basic living. We lived in a council flat um, and, you know, and on a council estate. I was the probably the first dark baby on the council estate, um, and so had a little bit of adversity growing up, you know, people kind of, you know, made fun of me and called me names and stuff like that at school, which I've never been a victim, Chris. I was always very able to kind of, you know, stand on my own two feet and uh, um, and defend myself. But I guess I I was interested in why people acted the way they did right from a very early age. But I think above anything else, what my parents taught me um, was that it's love that keeps families together. It's what makes human beings tick. You know, it's not about what you own. It's not about where you're from. It's actually about the amount of love that you show each other. And that was the the driving force for me growing up. Yeah. And we had something a little bit in common as well. And because I came from a very sort of working steel town and up in the north of England, what both of us experienced are our fathers going out on strike for a number of weeks, you know, and no mm. income coming in, and uh, it was uh, yeah, but it sticks that in my mind. Yeah, we talked about that recently, didn't we, Chris? And I do remember. I remember the fear waking up knowing that my dad, who normally would have gone to work, wasn't at work. You know, and I could and and because money was so tight, if you know, if he was on strike or if the, the workers had gone on strike, he had very little choice. Um, and it just meant that we wouldn't have any food on the table. It meant that we wouldn't be able to, you know, to live in the way that we we normally would. So it was really, really stressful, those striking years. Yeah, and you feel that sort of, uh, that kind of anxiety in the air, don't you? You know, Yeah, often. absolutely. I, I, yeah, I remember feeling my dad's anxiousness you know it kind of permeates across the whole family doesn't it but you know on the the whole it was a very very loving 
upbringing. My parents worked so hard, but they're the kind of people that would literally give you the the shirt off their back. So we were always surrounded in love, you know, and and that's the the one thing I remember most about my childhood. That's really important. Tell tell us a little bit about your career uh, then, because you you ended up, you you talked to me about this uh, award-winning business that you had. You had lots of Lots of success happening. You became the youngest person to in the UK to have investors in people. All sounded very rosy. How did how you know how did it come to that? What was the business? And uh, and then we'll see, talk the, the story from there. Well, it's probably it, it's not um, it's not a straight route, Chris. And as uh, <laughs> as most people will tell you, you know, their life is not one straight route. So I left school. Um, I didn't realise I'm, I'm just being diagnosed um, at the moment and they, they think that I may have ADHD. Um, most people who know me are kind of, <laughs> yeah, could have told you that, Michelle. <laughs> but, um, but going back to my school years, I was, I was really quite intelligent, but I wasn't very good at exams. And I was put in for, put forward for, uh, you know, nine O-levels and I ended up getting, scraping through two and failing all of my other exams. So at 17 years old, I I went into the Air Force. And I guess part of that was to try and win my dad's respect and affection as well. Um, But it was was always on the cards. So, you know, I joined the Air Force at 17 and and went out to see the world. So I came out of the forces as soon as my personality came out. (laughs) They don't realise I am the least person or the last person you would want in the air force Uh, i am so maverick i'm such a naughty girl i like stepping outside of the box i don't like rules and regulations and i realized it wasn't the place for me so i came out of the air force after five years just at at 21 and had to catch up with the rest of society around me and i fell into a sales career because i literally looked through the situations vacant in the newspaper and all of the best paid jobs were for people in this um, in this role called sales. And I thought, well, it looks like if you're good at sales, you're never going to be short of a job. So I kind of threw myself into that and I absolutely loved it. I, I clawed my way up through sales and my last employed position was as head of client development for a branding agency um, in London. And I was working with some of the biggest brands in the world and I loved that. Um, But I decided to move back home to the Midlands and be closer to my family. And I just started up on my own. And I realised that actually what I was doing really well was building rapport with complete strangers, breaking doors down and creating those relationships. So I started doing that as a new business developer um, for other organisations. And and then my first company, Fizzbang Marketing, was born. And that's what we did. We did very high profile, very intense um, hot relationships on a new business development theme um, and we worked on a risk-free basis and that's one of the reasons it, it won all the awards going because we put our neck on the line and and got paid on results. Mm, amazing so so life looked really good and uh, it's a very successful business you created it, it came from um, your marketing agency work and uh, getting helping around new business development and then and then, um, you know, a significant event in your life happened because in, I mean, I remember in September 2004, my wife and I got married and we enjoyed a really memorable honeymoon in beautiful Sri Lanka. Yeah, a few months later, you were also in Sri Lanka 
uh, and expecting a, a beautiful Christmas holiday. And uh, the timing resulted in a completely different experience. You know, tell us, tell us what happened. Well, 2004, first of all, Chris, was absolutely incredible. So, you know, you quite rightly said my company was the youngest company in the country to ever win investors in people, to gain investors in people. As far as I'm aware, we still hold that record. Uh, so we were we were only three years old at that point. Um, we were winning chamber awards, left, right and centre. And we had this huge reputation. So actually, my partner and I, Stu and I had been together a, a dozen years, but we'd, uh, we'd not got married or anything. But we decided to go on a couple of celebratory holidays. And so we learned to dive in the UK. Um, and we started to go on some pretty exotic holidays. And we booked our first ever diving holiday uh, away at Christmas and it's the first time we'd ever spent any time away at Christmas and that was with our dive centre from Bromsgrove um, and it was a swap with the dive centre in Sri Lanka um, and, and they're in Hikadua so it's the Poseidon dive centre in Hikadua in Sri Lanka and, um, and we got there just a couple of days before Christmas. Mm. And uh, so, 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 they, so they swapped with you, did they, they come, to, to, come to England to dive did they? <laughs> really? <laughs> Don't you take the mick. There's a lot of interesting stuff. I know, scupper flow. I dare you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if they got the short straw. But anyway, anyway, actually, in this situation, maybe they didn't. But you, you know, t- tell, us, tell us what happened because you, uh, you were with the group and they went out to, um, were planning on diving and you decided to stay in the hotel. Just tell us a bit about the story. What happened? What happened on that day? We've only got three minutes. We'll come back after the after the break. But yeah, I, I, well, to to cut a long story short, um, the night before, so Christmas night, the Sri Lankans put on the most amazing party for us on the beach. They don't celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day. They celebrate it on Christmas Eve. So it's a it's a national kind of bank holiday for them. But they they went out on a limb and put together the most amazing. Uh, party. So we struggled to bed in the early hours of the morning, promising that we were going to go for a dive in the morning. So come, you know, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, we got up, we went to breakfast. It was a glorious day. So many people were saying, oh my gosh, the sea's gone out so far. We can walk out on the beach to places we've never walked to before. And so they were all out exploring. But Stuart and I decided we were going to go back to bed and nurse our hangovers. We did not fancy diving. Um, And that is, yeah, that's probably the best place to leave it until after the break. Oh, my word. I'm I'm just imagining those poor people who were out on the beach. Well, let's let's go to commercial break then, and then we'll we'll continue the story in just a couple of minutes. Do join us. It's, uh, It's a very... Powerful and emotional story. We'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Michelle Mills Porter, and we're talking about uh, the incredible uh, tsunami story of, uh, that Michelle experienced. Uh, under the, the topic of the magnificence of humanity, and we're going to get a little sense of that very soon. So, Michelle, uh, you were in, in your hotel room. Mm-hmm. Other people were out on the beach, and they were excited because the, the sea had gone out a long way, and they were able to see things and structures and things they'd not seen before. Uh, you, you fortunately stayed in bed. Take us from there. Well, I remember hearing a rabble come into the hotel I thought who on earth have they let into this hotel because I could hear shouting and banging doors and I thought oh crikey so Stuart and I grabbed our pillows and pulled them over our head and tried to go back to sleep and a little bit later on we could hear this banging incessant banging it was like bang 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 And I thought, oh, crikey, now we've got builders in the hotel. This can't get any worse, can it? Um, But we also noticed that it sounded like there was a storm outside. Now, we'd been up for breakfast, so we knew it was a beautiful day. So we couldn't understand why it sounded like there was a storm outside or really bad weather. Um, And so Stuart got up and he pulled the curtains open. And I could tell at that point that there was something wrong because he just said, "Um, I think you better come and look at this. So I jumped out of bed and I ran to the window and literally it was terrifying. All we could see around us was water. 
And that incessant banging was a boat being slammed into the side of the hotel. And there was water everywhere. So that that sound of rushing water, like we thought was torrential rain, was the tops of the palm trees being swished around in the water. And the dive centre next door was literally, its roof was being lifted up and carried off. And as we watched it being carried off and followed it around the corner with our eyes, you know, leaning out of the hotel, uh, around the hotel balcony, as far as our eyes could see inland, it was just water everywhere. There was not a single soul around and it felt like the end of the earth. Oh, my word. So, so what? How did you get out of the hotel? What happened next? Well, I mean, it's so much happened in such a short space of time. The first thing I did is, oh, crikey, grabbed my video camera and started to record, thinking, you know, maybe I can record this and help Cami next door get some insurance for the dive centre or something. Little did I know that it doesn't quite work like that in Sri Lanka. Uh, but within seconds of holding that video camera, I thought there's got to be something more I can do than this. So I threw the video camera down and then try to look for people that I might be able to help, but we couldn't see anyone. So what we did is, you know, we, we kind of, it's almost like your subconscious takes over. And whilst your conscious is going through panic and having little panic attacks and you can feel things going on with your body, um, and I was being sick everywhere, you know, it's like my body was kind of getting us ready for something. But subconsciously, there is a there's something that takes over and it, it just keeps you calm and sensible. So whilst all this was going on, we were also trying to get dressed in the most sensible things that we could wear, the most sensible shoes. I wore this blouse that had long sleeves so that if we were stuck out, uh, we wouldn't get I wouldn't get bitten by mosquitoes and things like that. So we were thinking ahead and thinking very rational in one sense, um, just waiting for the water to be able to subside enough for us to get out. But one thing you said, Chris, you said, you know, your world was turned upside down. It is truly bizarre because everything suddenly has a different meaning. Mm. Nothing, nothing that had any monetary value had any relevance anymore. So in the corner of the room was all our video equipment, our watches, jewellery, you know, anything that we had that was worth something was sitting in the corner with absolutely no value for whatever life had in store for us now. And mm -hmm. instead, we were packing things that we might be able to barter with or things that might be useful. Yeah. And how, how did you get out of the hotel? And you ended up up, up on a hillside, didn't you? We did, yeah. So to cut a long story short, again, there's there's no real estimate in terms of time. But when the water came out enough, um, it, it, it receded enough for us to half wade and half swim out of the hotel. And we made it across to the other side of the Gaul Road, uh, which most of it was underwater at that time. And we met two people from our dive team who were sheltering in a building opposite and the first thing I said was, why did you want us to come over here? So, so you know, so they were so insistent that we went over to join them. And when we looked back at the hotel, we realised it looked like the entire hotel was lilting towards the sea. It's oh. still standing. So it, yeah. it 
probably you know maybe it wasn't i don't know but it was just looked so dangerous looking back on the devastation that we just left behind mm-hmm. um and it was it, it was probably several hours later living in that scenario with the water coming back in and then going back out again when cammy came down what used to be the gore road with some of his boat boys and we shouted down to him um and he shouted something in Sinhalese to one of his boat boys and the next thing we know we're being force marched inland by a good two miles and then up this huge gravel hill um, and I remember just thinking I am spent I have nothing left in my tank at all and Stuart's hand was on my back and he virtually lifted me up that path to the top of the hill when we got to the top these gates opened and little did I know this was Jimmy Lal's garden this is Cammy's uncle Jimmy um, and he'd opened up his garden to more than 100 refugees and in that garden were all of our friends from the dive centre and people from all sorts of countries and all wearing what they were wearing in the second that the tsunami hit. Yeah, and 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 it was in that um, you were you were there for some time, weren't you, in that garden with with others? And you, you you talked to me a little bit about the way you all came together and helped each other. Yeah, it was it was a week a week yeah. of being refugees and the longest week in my life. What I learned in that garden in that week. Uh, was possibly more than I'd learned in my whole lifetime since or or previously. It was in, an incredible week of learning. But I think the, the thing that struck me most was the way that everybody had something of equal benefit to bring to the party. So this community of people in the garden, there was no rank, there was no role, there was no what do you do for a living, there was no hierarchy, there was no nobody wanted to be in charge everyone just collaborated beautifully so what we found is that it didn't matter what you had to bring to the party that maybe you had got some nursing skills maybe you knew how to build a fire because you learned how to do that in the girl guides maybe you learned how to dress wounds in the scouts you know or these kind of um these uh, groups and associations you might have belonged to when you were when you were little and it didn't matter what it was you brought to the party it was equally important so everyone was on exactly the same level and everyone had something relevant and important to bring to the party. Um, and that was my first lesson of, you know, stripping, stripping it back and seeing that actually every single person has got something that is totally invaluable to the rest of the environment. They don't they may not even know it yet, but they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, that was incredible. What we did with that little thing, you know, that we brought to the party is when we collaborate, when we bring that together, that's when the magic happens. So that collaboration is the thing that really blew my mind because I realised that human beings on their own, they might be wonderful, but it's only when we put together all of those little talents that we can discover the real magnificence of humanity. And that lies in collaboration. The first example of that was when I had this mobile phone, this old mobile phone, and it wasn't working anymore. Somebody else had, you know, a SIM card, someone else had a charger, someone else had a wire, somebody had some skills in communication. I I don't know, but it all came together. And it, you know, it was just incredible within minutes we had a working phone 
Um, and with that working phone, me being very bossy, Chris, might surprise you. I kind of organized everyone in the garden and made sure that every single person in that garden got one phone call home to tell their loved ones they were okay. We have no idea how powerful and how important that one message was. But that's the first thing we did as a collaborative. And that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what happened in the following week. Wow. So what happened in the following week? It was just, it was lots of different things. All these little things, these little moments of collaboration that made you go, wow. Um, and one of the things that that really surprises me, Chris, is I'd heard about the story of the loaves and the fish and Jesus on the mountain and all that kind mm. of stuff. And I never really understood it. And to this day, I don't know whether this is because your body works in a different way when you're in adversity, real trauma like that, or or whether there is something cathartic. But one day, I remember the Sri Lankan lads and some of the English guys that had gone out with them had come back and they'd got a carry bag full of fish. They were celebrating, yay, yay, we've got these fish. And we were thinking, fantastic, we've got something to eat. Um, and all the women that had been gathered in Jimmy's garden all started to cook up rice and fish and things like this. And we all stood in a long queue at tea time. And we we stood and we were dished out, you know, a spoon of rice and a spoon of fish. And I remember they wanted to give us two spoonfuls. And Stuart and I said, no, just one is enough. One is enough. And so we had one spoonful of rice and one spoonful of fish. And we were sated and we thought, when we saw this bag full of fish, we thought, how are you going to feed over 100 people with that carry bag full of fish? But there was fish left over and we didn't need it. And, and that was something that was just, I can't explain how beautiful it was. That feeling of collaboration, that feeling that we don't need as much as we think, that we can share and that everything is in abundance when we share. It's a beautiful feeling. Wow. Wow. I can feel um, since I'm something very special. It's just like a, you know the magic garden that uh, you know, that experience that you had there. Um, I think it, it really it upsets me, Chris. When I when I think about the charities like Water Aid and things like that, we're fighting to try and get food and water and the very basic things to corners of of humanity and you think if you just had one good operations director in yeah. heaven you know then everyone would be sorted there is enough to go around we know there's enough to go around on this planet chris why can't we sort it out yeah yeah and you, yeah and you, you really um the, the work that you do and uh we you know we're both kind of quite heartfelt people i know a lot of people listen to this show are as well and we you know, we believe in kindness and caring and then, then things happen in the world, don't they? Which, uh, which just, just shock, shock you at your core, really. Um, it's important to be reminded of the, the, the magnificence of humanity that, uh, most of us have that magnificence within us. Um, but, every, but I think every one of us does, Chris, I'm sorry to interrupt. I really do think that every one of us has that magnificence. We just need to understand where it is and then bring it to the party and share it. Yeah, and share it because that's the, the, the haves and the have nots. Uh, there's enough resource and money around the world to, to fix everybody up, isn't there? Um, so so th th this um, experience happened, you know, presumably, you know, somehow you then, after a week there, you, you, you managed to get home 
But the journey then continued for you know weeks, months, years in terms of your health. How, how was what was you know how would you describe the next chapter? What did um, you learn? I think the next important thing was realizing that I was ill every time I went to go to work in the morning. Uh, you know, I was I was uh, I was ill. I was being sick, and the doctors thought I had gastro reflux disease or something or hiatus hernias, and they couldn't work out what it was. But every morning I was, you know, sick as a dog. And I remember being in my boardroom um, at one weekend. No one else was in there. And my walls were adorned with all of these fantastic testimonials from my clients. And the trophy cabinet was stuffed, jam-packed full of all of these photographs and trophies and awards. And I saw this little girl um, who looked so insignificant and when I looked, you know, it was just this fame-hungry, narcissistic little girl trying to prove something to the world. And it dawned on me that that was my reflection. And I thought, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, I just fell out of love with my business. And it was it was heartbreaking because it was like realising that the person that you're with, you don't love. And and that was a real hard element for me, you know, that what I'd created and spent so much time and love and everything creating meant absolutely nothing to me. All I wanted to do was spend my time in the charity we'd created, helping orphans in Sri Lanka and, you know, and, and raising money for the Hikadua Village Fund. That's where I was on fire and felt fulfilled. And I didn't even want to be at work. And it dawned on me that actually my sickness was my subconscious saying, what you're doing this is this is wrong this is not what you're on this planet to do Mm. wow Uh, and you know today you work with you work with leaders you work with young adults you've got you know behavioral tools that you utilize and you see your career has changed really hasn't it with the charitable work that you do and you're working with uh, young people and leaders tell us a little bit about that and tell us about how some of your tools and methodologies of are now helping, you know, which have been sort of derived from your insights that you generated in this experience that you had? Well, I think, Chris, that I had witnessed something that would, that stamped my heart, is stamped on my heart. And I was trying to discover what that was. So I decided to become a behaviour profiler. Um, and I was battling a lot of a trauma. It, it affected me on a physical level. Um, and I was battered and bruised and, you know, emotionally. So the trauma comes out on a cellular level. And I was very, very poorly for a long while whilst I was trying to recalibrate and adjust and find myself. Um, and I decided to to look into behavior profiling and try and capture what it is that I'd learned about humanity. Um, and I learned everything that I could. And I became a behavior profiler. Then I became um a practitioner then a master practitioner um and it got to the stage where suddenly I realized all the tools I'd been using didn't really capture what I wanted them to I needed to capture more so a couple of years ago and that's a good more than 10 years after the tsunami so that's how long it took really I realized that I needed to write my own tools I needed something that would capture what I'm trying to capture and so I wrote essence which is a core driving forces analysis um, and a lot of that the theory is based on Edward Spranger's work and, and I love that because it really helps 
people understand when they peel the onion layers back, what truly drives them. And, and that helps people to be fulfilled and to understand what role is going to fulfill them in life. I've then created a behaviour profile for which I use the theory of William Walter Marsden. So that's a disc-based behaviour profile, but it's got elements in it that are completely balanced. So there's no right or wrong. Everyone has their part to play and everyone is celebrated. So you can't have any such thing as a bad profile with any of my tools. Mm. Mm. And what sort of insights do people take from those tools that then you know, help them understand their, their true essence? The first one, essence is all about understanding what puts fire in your belly. And when we understand that actually those core driving forces are born in our formative years, then actually we can forgive each other. So if somebody has a different opinion to you, if you realise that's down to your formative years and how you form these um, these core driving forces, that it's just a difference of opinion. You're just viewing the world through a different perspective through a different lens and therefore it's okay so we can understand and forgive each other once we understand where that comes from and what it means it kind of diffuses all of that aggression and you know and conflict that we might get when people don't share the way that we think it's just like oh that's okay they're just viewing the world from a different way so there's an understanding and a forgiveness that helps us on our way, but it is fundamental to everything else we do. The behaviour profile goes into real depth about the true behaviour that you have and how that's perceived by other people, how you change it in society, how you think it needs to, to be changed, and actually which roles are best for you so that you can learn to work at your best energy. So from a leadership point of view, what this is doing is it's allowing you to understand what gives people their best performance. But from your own perspective, it's how to live in real power and energy and fulfillment. And it gives you all of that as long as you have a, a good practitioner to walk you through and show you how to use it. Fantastic. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now. Uh, after the commercial break, we're going to we're going to find out more. And um, I'd love to hear your advice for young people today as well in um, in understanding their own magnificence and uh, identifying that so they can then work with it and help them to uh, to deal with uh, you know the situations that are going on in the world internally so we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes from the boardroom to you voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. 
Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Michelle Mills-Porter. And we were hearing, you know, the incredible journey and story of, of Michelle and you know, I'm just I'm interested, Michelle, in that you had this profound experience. You know, an experience that's, uh, you know, for, fortunately, fortunately, really, not everybody gets to experience something like that in a lifetime. Um, but but actually, it was also there was some silver lining in it for you. There was some, you know, he, a lot of healing that had to go on afterwards. But what it did is it suddenly stamped on your heart, as you said almost your your purpose going going forward you suddenly became absolutely clear as to why you're here how how can do you think um you know, what do you think we should all consider when it comes to our own contribution and our own acce- accessing of this mag- magnificent um uh, elements that we have in inside each of ourselves um when how do we access it is the question when we don't necessarily all go through an experience like you did. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, I, I guess that's the reason that I created these tools, Chris. I wanted other people to be able to access those lessons okay. without having to go through Within that. The trauma. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah. and, and the one thing that I do talk about, because a lot of people want to know the nitty gritty, the gore, you know, how come I can't have children anymore? And what, you know, what limbs were falling off and, you know, they, they want to know all of that kind of stuff. And I don't really talk about that a lot because for me, every adversity is is equal. Somebody said to me the other day, in fact, it was Heather Wright, really good speaking friend of mine. She's awesome, isn't she, Heather? And she was talking about some trauma she had in a car crash. And she said, oh, Michelle, it's nothing like your trauma. I said, whoa, 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 hold on. Mm-hmm. You can't measure trauma because one person's been in a tsunami. Somebody else has had a car crash. Someone else has lost a parent. Someone else has, you know, been late for an interview. It doesn't matter. Trauma is trauma. And it gives you, when you've been through that trauma, it gives you an empathy and understanding of every other trauma there is on the planet. And you don't measure one person's trauma against someone else's. You don't say mine's worse than yours or yours is worse than mine. Trauma is trauma. So it doesn't matter what kind of trauma you go through. Every one of us in our lifetime will go through trauma and will be in a similar situation. I just, because of my core driving forces, I was was led to take the lessons from my trauma and do something useful with it. That's what's in my core. That's what I need to do in order to be fulfilled. May not be the same for other people, and that's okay. They might have another role. They might have something else to do. So for me, you know, it's a very difficult question. How do we get this magnificence out? I guess what you're asking is, how do we respect ourselves, Chris? That's all I'm doing is holding a mirror up to people and saying, do you know how flipping magnificent you are? 
That's all I'm doing. And we can do that in, in multiple ways. You don't have to do my analyses to do it. You know, there are lots of different ways we can do it. It's just about taking time to learn about yourself. What is it that you can bring to the party? What can you give to humanity? Because everyone will tell you, you know, Dr. Linda Shaw and, you know, anyone that, that deals with neuroscience and psychology, they'll all, will all tell you that purpose is the key to longevity of life. If we have purpose, if we know what we're meant to be doing on this planet, then that can give us fulfillment, it can give us energy, and it can really give us longevity of life as well. So I guess it's all about understanding what have you got to bring to the world. I can't can't necessarily help you with the answer there. This is yeah. about learning from yourself. What can you bring to society that makes a difference? Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting, it, you know, the thinking about younger generations, I think about a conversation my 12 year old last night, actually, um, you know, he's, uh, he's been through the pandemic as we all have. I mean, I didn't have a pandemic. We, you know, for, for us, it was probably our parents going on strike maybe, or, you know, the loss of a grandparent or something, which was a, which was a trauma. Um, but my, my 12 year old is, as all, all the 12 year olds and would have been through, we've, we've all, we've all been through a pandemic last night. My, um, my 12 year olds, you know, asked me, he said, dad, you know, is World War Three about to start? And that was a big conversation to have. You know, in his short life, what he's experienced, and we've got this, uh, you know, at this critical time in history at the moment. And I wonder how should adults, you know, keep a really positive um, outlook when it comes to this magnificence of humanity um, when there are difficult circumstances externally? How do how do we best work with our young people? Well, that's, I mean, young people, I love working with young people and um, I've, I've, I've just taken on the role as head of partnerships for Employability UK, which is a fantastic charity. They're only seven years old and um, they've, they've managed to get the Queen's Award, which wow. is like an MBE for charities um, run by Diane Vernon, really good friend of mine, and she's incredible. So the chance to work with young people, for me, that's like, it's like getting to people before they've been, they've been ground down by, yeah. <laughs> by life, you know, and there's so much positivity with young adults. And I love to be able to show them the opportunities that are available um, and show them, you know, how they can go out and make an imprint on life, you know, and, and be excited about it rather than being frightened about it. So the chance to be able to work with people of that age and show them the wonders that are at their fingertips and what they can go out and do in the world is a, a massive privilege for me. Um, and I think the older you get, the the more you have, the more you see of people that are put on this planet to try and derail us. And there are people put on this planet to try and derail us. Um, it's horrendous to see that our faith in humanity is tested on a daily basis, Chris. And it's it, it's heartbreaking. But you, you know, my rule is you mustn't allow those people to snuff your faith in humanity. You must remember that love and compassion always wins. And I, I, I'm going to misquote here. I'm sure it was Gandhi. And I, I'm sure I saw a quote on on social media recently about Gandhi saying that, that you know, it's all, love and compassion always does come through. But you've got to believe in that fairy tale ending. You've got to believe that, you know, 
that the film is going to end on a high and and we are going to come through this. And your 12-year-old son, very insightful, you know, are we going to see World War Three? I've been thinking that, Chris, for years. For years mm-hmm. I've been thinking, oh, my gosh, is this World War Three? And it, it, it comes and hits us again and again and again. We have to try and elevate above that. We have to try and elevate humanity above that. We have to say, do you know what? Back in the olden days, we would have fought, you know, with, with daggers, with knives, with bombs, with this, with that, the other. Now we don't do that. Now we solve problems in a different way. We have to allow ourselves to evolve. Yeah, yeah. It's actually very primitive, isn't it? It's really primitive, primitive behaviour. And uh, if we're going to... Oh, well, I've always said, Chris, that I, I say, because I do keynote speaking and things like that, um, and one of the things I've always said is that what we need for humanity to finally come together and wake up is we need a common global enemy. And when the pandemic hit, part of me thought, oh, my gosh, this is it. Yes. It's the common global enemy that's going to bring humanity together. And I swear, when I was standing out on my slippers on the street clapping for the NHS, the feeling of love and compassion on this planet was so similar to what I felt raising money after the tsunami. And there are times when humanity can feel this this love vibrating across the planet and it makes you feel connected it makes you feel alive it makes you think this is what life's about once you felt it you will spend your entire life trying to get it back again and that feeling of being out on the streets and clapping for the nhs i live for that feeling i know we are like elastic bands and we fell off that feeling very very quickly but we can get back on it we just need to keep shaking people by the shoulders and saying remember what it feels like when you're in this love in this compassion in this beautiful unity that feeling let's find it again yes 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 we, we mustn't lose touch must we that uh, you know love, love is at the core of all of us and uh, you know bringing care caring caring and kindness and connection and just be mindful that there might be some other people out there who are who are shaking our world shaking our world and we can choose how we behave within it uh and uh you know i hope i hope that the current situation brings more people together um i hope it ultimately there's a grander plan and we see um we see a new spring coming out of this out of all the tension we've seen over the last few years um but yeah i'm i'm with you i think uh you know the the human the, the magnificence of human beings, the potential and uh, the opportunities there. But we've all got to play our part in elevating it and not not allow us ourselves to sink into it. Um, I, I really do. I think uh, it's an inside job, isn't it? Each day, keeping ourselves up and energized and productive and uh, and and caring and connected. And we all need to play our role to add to a better world, not um, not make it worse. Yeah, it is. And I love that. It's an inside job. I love that. Um, It's an inside job. And it's also an outside job, because we have to promote that to other people as well. And it's not like, it's not like this utopia. For me, it's like, it's almost like surfing, you get up on the board and you surf the wave, you will fall off. And it's your job to get back on the board and find the next wave. So do fall off. Don't be afraid of falling off. Don't be afraid of bouncing back. Just remember, you've still got to get back on the board and ride the waves. That's what we have to keep doing, getting back on the board. Yeah, and not getting demoralised. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a, an amazing conversation. Uh, really, one I, I will never forget. I wonder if you've got any final messages that you'd like to leave us with. I don't know. Or a final message. I don't know. I don't, um, is there a final message? I just just connect. Just connect with people. Just have love in the heart of what you do. Whatever it is you do, just do it with love. And, you know, we will prevail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, amazing to have you on the show, Michelle, and hear that incredible, powerful story. And, uh, and you know, thank you for, for your magnificence that you're bringing to the world and all the people that you've, you've helped um, around the world in Sri Lanka and uh, these organizations like Employability UK that you're, you're supporting. You know, you're a real giver and I think an inspiration to a lot of people. Uh, and, and today, you know, just go away and think, after listening to this, think about how you can bring more of your magnificence into the world. Um, don't get stuck into the negative. Just look at how you can help. It's a, it's a kind of one step at a time. Every conversation that you have, every person you talk to, everybody you, uh, you, you help to pull up uh, and, and support, um, leave every day a better day through your presence as you've done uh, and do, Michelle, day in, day out. So thank you. That's beautifully said. Thank you for having me, Chris. You're very, very, very welcome. And if you want to connect with Michelle, you want to find out more about the work she's doing. Um, her website is uh, HTTPS. Is it um, hyphen hyphen mmp.uk.com? Do you want to just? It is. It's mmp.uk.com. mmp.uk.com. There's, there's actually only one Michelle Mills Porter on the planet. Thank is heavens, that? my husband says. Oh, really? <laughs> He's, but he's so lucky, isn't he, to, to have the one and only, really, crikey. Well, we've got to go because we've got to end now. But uh, on next week's show, and we're going to talk about mental and financial resilience, which is really important. We've got Alan Chambers, MBE. Alan led uh, ex-Royal Marine, and he led um, the, uh, the first um, completely unsupported uh, attempt from Canada to the North Pole. He succeeded. 70 days, the worst weather uh, um, in, in the last 100 years in the polar regions while he did it. Um, he's also uh, is an amazing guy. And we, we actually went to the same school. I can't quite believe it. Discovered that uh, very shortly. And David Howell, who's a financial, um, has financial advisor, but he's got 36 years of experience running organizations, companies really into well-being. They both care about that. We're going to talk how about how you build mental and financial resilience in these challenging times. It's got to be good. Once again, Michelle Mills-Porter, you've been brilliant today. Uh, and thank goodness I've managed to get you on after 10 years. It's, it's great. Thank you. <laughs> We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.